Now, how about a little more in the continuing saga of Tanya Harding? You know, uh, she got married in January to a fellow named Michael Smith. She was paid $20,000 by the tabloids for the rights to the story. Well, three and a half months after getting married, Tanya is now divorcing her husband. And he thinks he knows why. He said in USA Today, and I quote, I feel so used, it's pitiful. She just married me to get money from selling our story to the tabloids. And now that the wedding's over, she doesn't need me anymore. End of quote. Now, would she really do something like this? And was she really in on the plan to cripple Nancy Kerrigan? I mean, could somebody really be that sleazy? Well, I mean, you got to make your own determination. I can't tell you what to think about her, but I can say this. I can say that the people in our world can do some pretty sleazy stuff, whether she did or not. Hey, some of us are out there every day and understand how easy it is to get sideswiped with some sleazy stuff out there in our world. True? True. Now, when you're on the receiving end of that, it can really hurt. And as Christians, the question is not whether at some point in our lives we're going to be the recipient of some sleazy stuff. I mean, I can promise you we are because we live in the world and that comes part and parcel with it. The real question is, how does God want you and me as Christians to respond to that kind of treatment? You say, well, Lon, that's simple. Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said it. Love your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. Pray for those that despitefully, that cruelly treat you. And you're absolutely right. That's exactly the response that God's looking for. But you know, when somebody has really stuck it to you, when somebody has abused you and violated you and hurt you deeply, something inside of us as human beings says, no, wait a minute, this is not right. To just walk away and turn the other cheek, And let that person get away with doing this scot-free. Let them off the hook. They never have to pay for the wrong that they did to me or to somebody I love. How can God ask me to do that? I mean, where is equity here? Where is fairness here? Where is justice here? If I just walk away, who's going to take care of those things? That's a real life problem, isn't it? And you know what I love about God is that God is a real life God. And God has real life answers to real life problems in the Bible. I love that about God. And we want to talk about that this morning, about this particular real life problem, because we're in a series now coming down to the end of Jesus's life, where we're talking about the last words that Jesus said when he was here on earth. And one of those statements gives us the secret as to how we as Christians can respond when we're being the recipients of some pretty sleazy stuff. And it's found in the example of how Jesus responded. So let's look together. We're beginning here in chapter 23 at verse 26. Now remember, Jesus has been arrested. He's been tried and he's been condemned by the Jewish leaders. He's been rejected by the Jewish crowd. He has been abused by the Roman soldiers. And he's now been sentenced to crucifixion by Pontius Pilate. All that's happened. And now we pick up the story. Verse 26. And they led him away. And they seized Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene was in North Africa, about where Tripoli is today, who was on his way in from the country. And they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Other gospel accounts tell us Jesus was so weak, he couldn't carry the cross. He fell under the load and they pressed into service this fellow named Simon. And a large number of people followed Jesus, including women. 
Now, where did they follow him? Well, they were following him through the streets of Jerusalem because it was Roman practice for criminals in this day when they were going to be executed to march them in a little parade through the streets of Jerusalem and they would have Roman soldiers with them holding up signs that indicated what the prisoner's name was and what the crimes were that he was being accused of for which he was about to be executed. If you saw the masters last week, how many of you saw the masters? Great. You know, the ultimate crash and burn. Okay. Well, if you noticed with the leaders, there was this guy walking around with a small leaderboard. Did you notice that? It's like a flagpole type thing. And on the top was the name of the leaders in the tournament with their scores. And so this is kind of like what they walked through the street of Jerusalem with, with Jesus, was a little sign like that where the Romans had written his name and what he was accused of. In Jerusalem today, the path that Jesus took on this little parade is memorialized by the Via Dolorosa. Via Dolorosa simply means the way of pain or the way of suffering. And even though it's based on ancient tradition, and it is, it was actually fixed in the 15th century, this path. It begins near the Temple Mount at the Antonio Fortress, which is the traditional site where Jesus was condemned by Pontius Pilate. And it winds its way through the narrow streets of Jerusalem, ending up at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is one of the traditional sites for where Calvary was, where the cross actually was. Now, as you can imagine, there's a lot of debate about whether or not this is the actual path that Jesus walked. And I cannot verify for you and tell you that this is the actual path. Nobody knows that for sure. But I can tell you this. You go to Jerusalem and you go with a group of Christians and you slowly and reverently reading the Bible make that walk. And it'll be one of the highlights, one of the most memorable events of your entire life. You'll never get over walking the Via Dolorosa with some Christians and with the word of God, and remembering what Jesus did there. And there are 14 stations of the cross along this road. Nine of them are out on the road. The last five are inside the church of the Holy Sepulchre. If you go to Israel with me some year, we'll go walk it together. I'm telling you, it's an unbelievable experience. Each of these stations commemorates a specific spot where tradition says something, you know, along this march happened. Now, Simon of Cyrene, being pressed into service to carry the cross, was station five. At station five, there's a little marker at each of these stations, and it has a picture of a man taking the cross from Jesus etched in stone. That was at station five. Station eight is where what we're about to read happened with Jesus and these women. So Jesus was almost all the way to Calvary before this happened. Now look, verse 27, and a large number of people followed him, including women, who mourned and wailed for him. Now, why did they do that? Well, don't forget, Jesus has been up all night. He's had no sleep. He's had no food. He's been beaten. He's bleeding. He's bruised. He's so weak, he couldn't even carry the cross. He must have been a pitiful sight, folks. He must have been a wreck. And these women who were walking along had pity on him. They had compassion for him. They felt his pain and they began to weep for him. And Jesus looks at them and here's what he says, verse 28. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. One of the greatest tragedies in Israel at the time of Jesus that a person could have was to be childless. 
In fact, the rabbis said that that was a legitimate grounds for divorce. If a woman couldn't give a man children, that was such a tragedy, he could divorce her for that. This was a horrible tragedy. And yet Jesus says the days will come when children in Jerusalem will suffer so badly that every mother in Israel will wish that she were childless. Every mother in Israel will envy the women who have no children. It'll be so bad. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about something that he knew was going to happen in less than 40 years. We don't know exactly the year that Jesus was crucified, 32, 33, maybe 34 AD, something like that. But within 40 years of that time, what Jesus was talking about was going to happen. And I want to show it to you. Turn back a chapter or two to chapter 21 of Luke's gospel and look at verse 20. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 20. Now, Jesus had already warned the people of Israel this was coming. Look what he said, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the city get out. Let those who are in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment. In fulfillment of all that has been written, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jesus is speaking here about the siege and destruction of the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. A little bit of history, okay? 66 AD, the radical right in Israel, a party called the Zealots, convinced Israel to revolt against Rome. Now, on a human level, that was a very bad decision. You understand what I'm saying? They had a little bit of marginal success, but Rome dispatched four legions to Jerusalem. They finally took all the surrounding countryside, And they began to lay siege to Jerusalem and their plan was to slowly starve the city into submission. Josephus, the Jewish historian who was an eyewitness at the time, writes that the people got so bad, the people would actually try to sneak out at night to scrounge for roots and even pieces of leather that they could eat. In fact, he records what he says is true and he was there. The case of one Jerusalem mother who got so hungry that she actually roasted her own child and ate it. This is written down. Jews who got caught outside the walls looking for food by the Romans, the next morning, the Romans would crucify them on the walls of the city, hang them up on the walls of the city. And Josephus records that some days there were more than 500 people at a time hanging on the wall so that the Romans ran out of room and didn't even have any more room on the wall to tack people up. When the city finally fell in 70 AD, the Roman troops butchered tens of thousands of women and children whom they had no use for, and they sold all the healthy men and women into slavery. They burned the city to the ground. They burned the temple to the ground. They completely razed the entire city and destroyed it. Why was this going to happen to Jerusalem? Well, let me show you chapter 19. Look at chapter 19. Verse 41, chapter 19, verse 41, Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, verse 41 says, he wept over it. And he said, Jerusalem, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, if you understood who I was, 
but now it's hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another. Watch, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. God came to his people in the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and they didn't recognize it. And even if they thought maybe that's who it was, they didn't want anything to do with him. They rejected him. They cheered as he went through the streets on the way to the cross. What's Jesus really saying here is Jesus is saying, hey, I've been arrested, condemned, beaten, abused, mocked, and ladies, I'm on my way to the cross now. But don't weep for me, because I'm rising from the dead. Don't weep for me. But you know, even though it may look like the people who are responsible for this, your countrymen are getting away with this, hey, the last chapter is not in yet. And when that last chapter comes in, God is going to hold the Israelites accountable for what they've done. Nobody's going to get away with anything. God's justice is going to see to that. And it's going to be ugly. So what was Jesus reassuring these ladies and reassuring us? He was reassuring all of us that, hey, nobody gets away with anything, folks. God sees to it. Now, that's the end of our passage, but it leads us to ask the really important question. And what's that question? So what? That's right. You know, God in his mercy, I have learned over the years, often delays payback. Have you noticed that? I mean, we want payback now, right now. Let's go. Just let them have it. Sock it to them. Give it to them. Lay them down. Knock them out. God doesn't do that. That's not God. God is a merciful God as well as a just God. And God often in his mercy delays payback to give people a chance to change their mind and make things right. But you know what? If people don't take that opportunity, payback always comes It came to these people 1,900 years ago. They didn't get away with anything. And folks, in his justice, God makes sure that everything that goes around comes around. He sees to that. Now, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ in a real and personal way as your Savior, you know, I've met a guy one time and he said, hey, he said, look at me. I'm not trusting Jesus. I'm not interested in being a coming a Christian and all that stuff that God says in the Bible about sin and how he's going to judge sin and how he's going to deal with sinners and all this kind of stuff. He said, here I am standing here. You don't see me being struck by lightning, do you? My heart's beating, isn't it? I'm living a pretty good life. You don't see anything awful happening to me, do you? Oh, no, not at the moment. I didn't. I didn't see any lightning hitting him right at the moment. Now, if I were you, I wouldn't stand real close to him for too long, maybe. But God, this man didn't understand. He just didn't get it. God, in his mercy, the Bible says, delays judgment to give people a chance to change their mind and accept Christ. But don't for a moment think that God doesn't mean what he says. And that's what I told the guy. I said, you may be standing here like that now, but don't you dare think because God's being merciful to you. He doesn't mean what he said. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ in a real and personal way, don't be duped into thinking that because God is delaying and God is being merciful, that God does not mean everything he has said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets into heaven unless they come by way of me. And folks, God means exactly what he says. So don't confuse his mercy for weakness. It isn't. It's mercy. 
And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, be careful about the people out there who tell you that because they're okay now, they're going to be okay forever. That's not true. Not if they don't accept Christ. Something to think about. Now, for those of us who are Christians, there's a whole deeper message about the way we have to live in response to sleazy things being done to us. Because what this tells us is that, hey, God sees to it that what goes around, what? Ah, you got it. You know, I used to do a lot of hunting. I'm hunted for a while. And that was unusual for me because Jewish people don't usually grow up hunting. I mean, you know, that's just not something we normally do. So I had to learn a new skill, which I was kind of proud of. And you go down to my office, I got a big old pheasant up on the wall that I'm proud to announce I shot all by myself. And this is good. But anyway, my in-laws have this farm where they have all these pigeons. Now, if you ever raised on a farm, you know pigeons are nobody's friend on a farm. They're dirty, they make a mess, and they don't accomplish any reasonable purpose except getting in the way and making trouble. So he invited us out to shoot these pigeons. Well, that's fun, shooting pigeons. And so, well, now don't get upset. I mean, you know, I have a worldview about why God made the world, and I'm okay with shooting pigeons. If you're not, then don't go shoot them. But anyway... (laughs) We went out, we ran them out of the silo, and we, you know, pow, 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 as they flew off, and they're pretty hard to hit, and a bunch of them got away, and so then you said, well, so they were all gone, right? No, that's not the end of this. We sat down, had a candy bar, and waited, because you know what? Pigeons, guess what? They come back to where the roost is. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and here they came. So we got a chance not only to shoot them going out, but coming in. This is great. Then we'd run them out again, shoot them coming in again until we got tired. We never got them all, but this is great fun. Well, it was for me anyway. But you know, every roosting bird I know of comes back to the same place to roost. That's just a rule of nature. You know, God, we have a saying, right? All the chickens come home to roost. You know, God has his own unique way of saying this. I want you to see God tell you this. It's in Galatians chapter six. And if you turn there with me, I want to show it to you. It's page 826 in our copy of the Bible, page 826, Galatians chapter six. And I want you to look at verse seven with me. Verse seven says this, verse seven, Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived. Don't be mixed up on this. God cannot be mocked. Nobody's going to make a fool out of God. A person reaps whatever they sow. This is God's way of saying that the chickens always come home to roost, that what goes around comes around. This is an eternal law of the universe. You reap what you sow. You sow corn, you reap corn. You sow watermelons, you don't reap squash, right? And in the same way, if you sow sinful, sleazy, selfish things, you're going to reap the consequences. Nobody's going to make a fool out of God, the Bible says, by sowing one thing and reaping something different. It's not going to happen. God does judge. God does hold everyone in the world personally accountable. God sees to it that what goes around comes around. And God makes sure whatever chickens you sent out, brother, they are coming back home to roost. That's the way God is. Now, if you don't believe that's true, you ask Dan Rostenkowski. Ask him what he thinks. You know who he is, congressman from Chicago, chairman of the powerful Ways and Means Committee in the House. People used to call him the boss. In fact, he was so powerful that lobbyists would come to Morton's in Georgetown and court him to try to get what they wanted. And they even had a little section of the restaurant all set aside for him where he'd come every night and meet with all these people. It was called Rosty's Rotunda. 
Rostinkowski was a powerful man. University of Virginia political scientist Larry Sabato says, and I quote, when you're chairman of the Ways and Means Committee for so many years, you rarely meet a person who doesn't tell you that you're the second cousin to God. And even if you're a very humble person, you know that at the very least, you're God's third cousin. According to the Washington Post, He used government employees to remodel his house and take pictures at his daughter's wedding. He bought expensive gifts with taxpayer money and gave them to his friends. He's also accused of illegally exchanging government stamps for cash, using government employees to run personal errands, pocketing federal funds and campaign money, and 17 other counts, or 17 total counts. But you know, the Post said there were people who said, nobody's ever going to do anything to this man. This man is the boss. This man is God's third cousin. You wouldn't dare cross this guy. And he looked invincible. But you know what? Somebody dared to cross him. Because when that 17-count indictment was filed, he went home and lost an election in Chicago, even with all of his political machine to a political beginner in 1994. And then did you read 12 days ago, he was sentenced to 17 months in jail and $100,000 in fines? Folks, it doesn't even matter if you're God's third cousin. What goes around, what? What a person sows, God says, it's what you're going to reap. Now, that works fine and good when we're talking about politicians. In fact, we all wish this verse on them. God bless them, right? God bless them. But when it comes to somebody doing something nasty to us, boy, the stakes go up, don't they? I mean, it's one thing to do it with somebody else, but man, when they do it to you, it's different. As many of you know, I have a a little girl who's got some very serious medical problems, and she's four now, but the first couple years, we just tried to hunker it out. We just said, well, you know, maybe she's going to outgrow some of this, and God's going to heal her, and and we just hunkered it out, and after hunkering it out for a couple of years, we just said, hey, you know, we got to get real about this. I'm not sure much is happening here, and we just can't go on like this forever. We got to live like maybe this is not going to all get better right away. So with the help of some friends, we were able to get a domestic lady to come in from nine to five to help my wife, Brenda, because she was basically losing her life. I mean, she was there 24 hours a day, seven days a week with this sick little girl, and we just couldn't keep going like this. Now, the first person we got, you know, we weren't all that successful with, and they quit without much notice. So when we got a new lady a few months ago, we said to her, now, look, this is really important. You can't quit without giving us two weeks' notice. It takes time to find somebody else. If you decide you don't want to do the job, we understand the job is very hard working with a child like Jill, but you've got to at least give us two weeks' notice. Oh, no problem. I'm a Christian, she said. I'm a person of ethics and morals. No problem. We said, all right, this is cool. So the last couple of weeks, she's been asking for off early. She's been coming in late, giving excuses that just don't seem to make a lot of sense. And Brenda's been going, you know, Lon, I'm really nervous. Something's going on. I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, just don't read too much into this. Now relax. I'm usually in denial. Denial's fun. I mean, if you can live in denial your whole life, I mean, that's a great place to live. So I'm like, oh, no, no, everything's fine, you know? So Monday morning we wake up and we both got some plans that we had scheduled for the day and the time comes for her to get there, shouldn't show up. Half hour goes by, doesn't show up. Hour goes by, doesn't show up. Finally we thought, gosh, maybe something horrible happened, you know, maybe a car accident or something. So Brenda got on the phone and called her husband up and got him on the phone and said, you know, is everything okay? He goes, oh, um, she quit. She doesn't work for you anymore. 
She has another job. Brenda's like, what? Excuse me? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She quit. She won't be in anymore. And he's done. I couldn't believe this. I stood there in shock. I went, what? So I said, okay, now listen, I can find where this woman's working. I mean, you know, I can do this and I'll find where she's working and I'll call that person up and I'll tell them, do you know what she did with us? You didn't bother to call us for a reference, but do you know what she did with us? And I will cause her to lose her job and that'll fix her. She won't have our job. She won't have their job. And she does this kind of sleazy thing to me and you watch what's going to happen to her. And man, I was all poised and ready to go. And then God said, well, you know, just, mm -mm, just a second. Maybe we should talk about this. And he took me to a passage of the Bible that I read on Monday about, oh, 85, 90 times. And every time I read it, I was hoping it was going to change. But it never changed. All 85 times it said the very same thing. And I want to show it to you. It's in Romans chapter 12. I want you to turn there, page 804, and let me show you what it says. See, I can deal with Rostinkowski. This is not a personal deal. Man, I'm ready to let this woman have it. I mean, you know, right between the eyes, Jack. All right. So this is Romans 12. Look at it. Page 804, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Never changed. I read it a whole bunch of times. Never changed. Be careful to do what is right in the sight of everybody. Look at verse 19. Do not take revenge. Ah, shoot. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, there are two things here that God impressed upon me. The first one was that revenge belongs to God, not me. Oh, I wanted it to belong to me. And frankly, I think I'd have done a pretty good job. But it didn't belong to me. God says, no, 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 this doesn't belong to you. And there's two reasons why it doesn't belong to you, Lon. The first reason is you don't know the whole story. You don't know what she was thinking. You don't know what was going through her heart. And revenge is dangerous in your hands, son. See, God's the only one who knows the whole deal, folks. And I don't know what this woman was thinking or how she justified this. But God knows. And revenge is only safe in the hands of God not in our hands. We all see the world through our lenses, you know? That's not a good position from which to take revenge. And the other thing God said about revenge to me is, hey, get out the way and leave room for me to do it and I'll do a much better job than you'll ever do. Let me handle it. I'll do better than you. And the second thing God says from this passage to me is, Lon, you take the high road. Don't cheapen yourself. Don't lower yourself to do something like that. Take the high road. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't lower yourself to that level. Don't cheapen yourself to that. But overcome evil by doing good. And leave room for me to do the payback. I still wanted to call. I wanted to call all day. Several times this week. I've been real close. But you know, God keeps saying to me, Lon, you got to back off, man. And you got to let me handle this. 
Jesus knew this truth. That's why he responded to the sleazy treatment he got the way he did. 1 Peter 2 says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, listen, he kept on entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. And 1 Peter 2 says, Jesus left us an example that we ought to live the very same way. This is the secret. God promises he'll settle accounts. The secret is just keep on entrusting, keep leaving room for the payback from God. And you know, it's really hard to let this woman walk away. I mean, it is so hard to walk, let her walk away untouched, unpunished, unaccountable. Ugh! Ugh! But you see, the truth is, she's not unaccountable. God's going to settle the account, and God will do it the way he knows is best when he's ready. Now, if you go out in the world system and you tell people this is the way you live, and they'll tell you you're stupid. They'll tell you that you have lost your last marble. And that this church thing has gone much too far. That's what they'll tell you. They'll say, are you nuts? You live like this out here, you're going to be chopped liver, Jack. Are you crazy? You see, but the difference is, they're right that it's a stupid way to live unless you have a living God on your side. If you've got a living God who means what he says when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's what he said. And if he's alive forevermore and runs the universe, and you believe that, And this is not a stupid way to live. This is a good way to live. I don't know about you, but I would suspect there's some of you here who've been plotting and planning and dreaming about and fantasizing about how you're going to sock it to somebody as soon as you get the chance. Man, they give you that one little opening in the armor and you're going to nail them. You already know exactly how you're going to do it for what they did to you, for how they hurt you. Can I say something to you? If you know Christ is your personal Savior and you understand there's a living God, don't cheapen yourself to do that. Don't lower yourself to that level, folks. You don't need to do that. You've got a God who'll do it for you and he'll do a better job. He won't do it on your timetable because you want to squash him now. He won't do it necessarily on your timetable, but he'll do it. And believe me, you'll be glad if you back off and let him do it because he'll be much more effective than you are. So my advice to you is, you've been treated sleazy, you've been hurt by a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, a husband, a wife, a relative. Let it go. Let it go. Turn loose of it. Do what Jesus did. Entrust it to a God that judges righteously. And God will take care of making sure the payback chickens come home to roost. They will. You can count on it. And you're going to get the privilege just to be a bystander. and Watch it happen. And say, I didn't have to cheapen myself to be a part of this. God took care of it all by himself. I hope you'll take that truth to work with you tomorrow morning. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here this morning and and you've been feeling that kind of hatred and revenge and anger to someone that's hurt you. I want to give you an opportunity very quickly before we dismiss to turn loose of it, to let it go, to entrust it to God the way Jesus did and be free.
See, even if you let them off the hook, they're not off God's hook. But you need freedom, or this will destroy your life. And so I want to give you a chance right now, if if God has spoken to you and, and you want to turn loose of it, I want you to do it right now, right where you sit, just by raising your hand and saying, God, I'm turning loose of it. I'm going to give them to you. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Thanks. Anybody else? Just before we close. Lord Jesus, thanks for the folks who've raised their hands and maybe other people who made this same decision but didn't raise their hand. I thank you that you're a living God and that because we let people off our hook doesn't mean that they're off the hook. In fact, the truth of the matter is when we let them off our hook, they're in worse trouble because then they're on collision course with you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, in a very special way, give the power to the folks that raise their hands that they need to turn loose of, obviously, some situations where they've been hurt, violated, and mistreated in some horrible ways. Help them turn loose of it, like Jesus did, and just entrust it to you. Thank you that you are a God who always makes sure that the chickens come home to roost. You did it for Israel 1,900 years ago. You'll do it for every situation in our life where it's righteously deserved. And we'll trust you, Lord, to make those decisions. Help what we've heard here today not only to bring some freedom into the lives of many of us who've been carrying that kind of hatred and revenge, but help it to change the way we see the world and the way we live so that we might go out into the world and represent to them that we have a living God and we don't need to lower ourselves to the level of the world. So change the way we live with this, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name.